Hi, I'm Charles Christoph Carter. And I'm his mom, Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find original content covering everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast provider of choice. Thank you. In our last episode, several women in town had seen a dark-colored truck parked outside their houses at night. Most recently, Laura noticed it near her neighbor's house. What Laura and the other women could never have imagined was that it belonged to a lascivious peeping Tom. And now, without further ado, the next episode of Yard Work, written by Charles and Ellen Carter, narrated by Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised. Joe stood at the foot of the hospital bed, looking down at Tim Harvey lying there. Monitors had been keeping track of his vital signs for the last few hours. His doctor had told Joe that Tim Harvey had lost a lot of blood, but he was fortunate. The wound in his back had been serious, but not as serious as the wound to his chest. An inch to the right, and it would have been fatal. The doctor told Joe that he had given Mr. Harvey something for the pain. Joe could try speaking with him, but he might be a little groggy. Joe called out his name. Tim? Tim Harvey. He watched as the man's eyes rolled around several times beneath his closed eyelids. Slowly, his lids began to rise. They fluttered and stopped halfway, like a faulty drawbridge. Joe stared at Tim Harvey's half-opened eyes. He was unsure of how lucid Harvey would be. He called his name again. This time, Harvey's eyes moved slowly to the right and then to the left before they finally seemed to focus. Do you know where you are? Harvey attempted to answer, but his response sounded garbled, like an audio tape that had been stretched. I'm sorry, I didn't get that, Joe said. Harvey closed his eyes, licked his lips, and began again. This time, he answered the question in a more intelligible manner. Yes, I do. His eyes opened completely, but there was still a heavy quality to his eyelids. Joe glanced up at the monitor over his bed. He could see that the man's heart rate seemed even and normal. Mr. Harvey, I'm Sheriff Joe Martin. Do you think you can answer some questions? Joe watched as Harvey nodded his head almost imperceptibly. Do you know who did this? Joe watched him closely. Tim's eyes narrowed, his face failing to convey what he was really feeling, but the monitor above his bed betrayed his stoic facade. No. Joe's poker face hid his surprise at Tim's response. According to my deputy, you said your wife was the perpetrator. I was mistaken, Sheriff. When I turned around, my wife was the first person I saw. Then I looked closer, 
Someone was standing behind her. Do you know who it was? Could you see the person's face? No. Tim Harvey's eyes closed for a few seconds and then opened again. He didn't say anything. Do you know of anyone who would want to hurt you? Joe watched the heart rate on the monitor increase. Harvey's breathing became rapid and shallow. Greg Vivian. Greg Vivian? Why? Because I was responsible for having him fired. Why did you have him fired? Because he was taking drugs while he was working at the mill. Do you know that for a fact? Yes, there was a surprise drug screening. He flunked it big time. My deputy, Bill Bannister, said you left a message that you wanted to speak with him. What did you want to speak with him about? Tim Harvey's eyes slowly started to close. Mr. Harvey? He took a shallow breath and coughed. Last night, the Dalton girl got killed. Yes, she did. I had just left Barry Benoit's house, Tim said breathlessly. Take your time. Harvey nodded slightly. My headlights splashed across Greg Vivian as he came out of the woods, not far from Barry's house. Tim Harvey took several shallow breaths before he continued. He had a lot of blood on his coat and pants. I thought it was strange. Then I heard about what happened to the little girl. Do you know about what time that was? Around quarter of six. Are you sure it was Greg Vivian? Yes, I've been his supervisor for five years. You couldn't miss that red hair of his. Did you tell anybody that you saw him? Only Benoit. I called him. Benoit? Yes. Why did you call Benoit? Because there was a problem at the mill. I needed to talk to him. When did you call Benoit? I called him this morning around 7.30, quarter of 8. His secretary said he wasn't in yet, so I called him at home. Did you tell him that you were going to speak with my deputy? Yes. Just one more question. Could that dark shadow behind your wife have been Vivian? I don't know. I guess it could have been. I'll let you get some sleep now, Mr. Harvey. Even before he had finished speaking... Joe could see that Tim Harvey had closed his eyes and drifted off to sleep. Joe knocked a second time, more forcefully than the first. The sound of his naked knuckles on Barry Benoit's front door echoed sharply in the stillness of the cold night. Joe was about to knock a third time when a downstairs light went on and he heard a man's voice with a heavy New England accent answer from the other side of the door. Who's there? It's Sheriff Martin. I need to speak with you. There was the sound of a lock disengaging and then a creak as the door was pulled open. Barry Benoit stood there, his hand on the doorknob, barefoot, dressed in disheveled blue plaid flannel pajamas, looking tired and drawn. Jeez, I'm crow, it's freezing out. Come in, Sheriff, come in, Barry said, ushering Joe across his threshold and quickly closing the door behind them. Barry stepped onto a scatter rug that lay across a highly polished hardwood floor, moving his feet back and forth on the hooked rug's surface and rubbing his arms. He walked from the rug to a pair of small, overstuffed floral print armchairs. He motioned for Joe to sit down. No, that's all right, Joe replied. I'll stand. Barry nodded and sat down on the arm of one of the chairs. What can I do for you, Sheriff? He said, looking up at Joe. I just spoke with Tim Harvey. Barry put both hands on his knees and looked up at the ceiling 
as if preparing himself for what would come next. Tim told me that he called you this morning and told you that he saw Greg Vivian coming out of the woods last night, not far from where we found Judith Dalton's body. Joe watched as Barry lowered his head and looked at the floor, grimacing. He said that Greg's clothes were bloody, Joe added. Yes, he called, but I just didn't believe what he said, Barry began, still looking at the floor, choosing his words carefully, thoughtfully. Does Tim Harvey know that you and Greg Vivian are cousins? Barry paused for a moment and thought, then frowned. No, no, I don't think so. Look, I've been close to Greg ever since he was a kid. I've been more like a big brother than a cousin to him. I know he's bullheaded. Sometimes he can be a jerk, but I don't believe he butchered that little girl. Jesus Christ, Sheriff, you saw her. I can't get it out of my mind. I'm having trouble sleeping. Only a madman would do something like that. Or someone who's high on drugs, Joe interjected. Tim told me that Greg failed the drug test at the mill and he was fired. And weeks later, Tim calls you and says when he left your house, he saw Greg Vivian coming out of the woods covered in blood. Barry looked up at Joe, his face pale. Jesus, Sheriff, you've got to believe me. I know Greg couldn't do something like that, high on drugs or not. He just wouldn't. That's why I didn't believe what Tim was saying. I knew Tim had a bug up his ass about Greg telling him to stay away from Hunter Langtree. A puzzled look crossed Joe's face. What do you mean? Are you saying Hunter and Tim had something going? The way I hear it, Hunter wanted to get out of the drying shed. She found out that there was a receptionist position that was about to open up in the general office. She needed a letter of recommendation from her supervisor, so she asked Tim if he would write one. Tim was a jerk. He was trying to see what he could get out of it, and someone told Greg about it. Greg told Tim he would kick his ass if he tried to make a move on Hunter. And right after that, there was a surprise drug screening at the mill. You already know the upshot of that. Greg got caught. They fired him. With Greg gone, Tim would have a clear field with Hunter, Joe asked. Barry shrugged his shoulders. Tim said he was going to tell Bill Bannister what he saw. I think it was Tim's way of getting rid of Greg permanently. That's why I really didn't believe what he was saying. When Tim was talking, I kept getting this feeling that Tim might just hate Greg so much that he would lie to put him away. I don't know. Have you seen Greg? No, not for the last few weeks, not since he got fired. You didn't try to contact him? Barry drew in a deep breath. You gotta understand, Sheriff. I don't believe Greg could do anything like that. We grew up together. I think I know what Greg is capable of. Did you contact him? I tried to call Greg to let him know what Tim said he was going to do. And what did he say? I didn't get to talk to him. I only talked to Hunter, but she said she would give him a message. Christ, Sheriff, you're not going to let people around here know, are you? If they find out that I tried to warn Greg, I'll be crucified. Joe looked at him and nodded his head, but didn't indicate one way or the other what he would do. The frost-covered ground squeaked in protest as Joe walked across it to the front of Hunter Langtree's house and mounted the steps to the porch. He knocked loudly and waited. There was no response. It was not quite 11.30. It was more than likely that Hunter was asleep. Joe knocked a second time, even more loudly than before. He waited several moments. He rubbed his hands together. 
The temperature must have fallen at least five degrees since he'd left Barry Benoit's house. He stepped back off the porch to see if any lights were on upstairs. Suddenly, he saw a shaft of light spill across the backyard. It must have come from one of the upstairs bedrooms in the back of the house. He stepped back up onto the porch and waited. A few minutes later, the foyer light and the front porch light came on. A woman's voice from behind the door asked, Who is it? It's Sheriff Martin. A curtain moved and her face suddenly appeared at the side light of the door. Her dark eyes slightly squinted with a questioning look in them. Her face disappeared from the side light and moments later the door opened just a crack, her dark eyes staring into his. It's 11.30, Sheriff. I'm sorry to wake you. I know it's late, but I have to talk with you. It's pretty cold out here. Can I come in? She opened the door wider. Joe stepped into the foyer, and she closed the door behind him. Hunter wasn't wearing a robe. The bodice of the white satin nightgown she was wearing gently lifted and caressed her ample breasts, the thin spaghetti straps allowing Joe's eyes full access to her long neck and shoulders. The gown plunged precariously down her back in a scoop fashion, stopping dangerously close to where her derriere began. The white soft material clung to her curvaceous body, leaving nothing to his imagination. He wondered to himself whether a garment so beautiful, so provocative, so obviously expensive would be worn by a woman sleeping alone. He thought that unlikely. Perhaps he was in luck. Perhaps Vivian was still here. He realized too late that she had caught him staring at her. He tried to divert her attention from his blatant interest in her choice of nightwear. I can't believe how fast the temperature's dropping, Joe said. It's late. I'm sure you didn't come to discuss the weather. What did you want to speak with me about, Sheriff? She said with a note of irritation in her voice. Greg, did you see him last night? He said, watching her closely looking for any change of facial expression. Her mouth tightened just slightly, and her dark eyes narrowed. What makes you think I'm still seeing, Greg Vivian? She asked, her voice suddenly edged with anger and a nervousness that hadn't been there just moments before. She crossed her arms in front of her, turned her head to one side, and softly said something inaudible in French. She turned her head again to face him, her dark brown eyes staring defiantly into his and tossed her long, dark hair back over one shoulder. Joe stared at her. Yes, he was here, she said finally. What time did he arrive? About ten, ten-thirty. What was he wearing? She ran her hand through her hair, turned her back to him, and began speaking in French. She quickly turned back around and asked him sharply, Sheriff, what is this all about? You know what this is about, because Barry Benoit called this house and spoke with you and gave you a message to give to Greg. You can't believe that Greg had anything to do with that little girl's murder. Hunter, this is a murder investigation. If you withhold any information, I can bring charges against you. Now, what was he wearing? She drew in a deep breath and blew it out hard. She was clearly agitated. She tapped her foot on the floor and folded her arms again beneath her full breasts. If you're not going to answer my questions here, I'm going to have to ask you to get dressed and accompany me down to the station, Joe said sternly. All right, all right, I'll tell you what he was wearing. She paused. He had on a pair of camouflage pants, a camouflage shirt, 
his boots, and winter coat. Hunter, was there any blood on his clothing? I don't have to tell you any more than I already have. Then you better get dressed and come with me to the station. She paused again, ran her hand through her hair again, stomped her foot like an angry child, and finally said, Yes, all right, there was blood all over his clothes and his coat. Did he say where the blood came from? No, he didn't. He was really high. He was talking crazy. I couldn't understand what he was saying. Where are those clothes? He made me burn them, she said, beginning to cry, a tear running down either cheek. She wiped the tears away with the tips of her fingers. Did you give him Barry's message? Yes. What did he say? He said Tim Harvey was a bastard and he was going to get him. Was he still high? Kind of. Is he here? No. Joe looked at the staircase. Mind if I take a look? Do I have to let you? No, but I can go and get a warrant and come back with two of my deputies. She thought for a moment. Go ahead, but he's not here. Joe nodded. He walked to the staircase, pulled his weapon, and went quietly up the stairs, leaving her waiting in the foyer. A few minutes later, he came back. She stared at him hard. I told you he wasn't there, she said bitterly, her full lips fashioned into an obvious pout. What time did he leave? This morning. What time this morning? I don't know. It was early. He took his camping gear and left. Do you know where he was going? No, he didn't tell me. Was he armed? He had his rifle and that hunting knife that he threatened me with last night. He threatened you with his knife? He was so out of it, I don't think he knew what he was doing. Joe looked at her for a second. Is there anything else you want to tell me? No. If Greg tries to contact you, you will give me a call, won't you, Hunter? Do I have a choice? Joe smiled. I'll let you get back to bed. Good night. Don't forget to lock up, Joe said, opening the door and stepping out into the cold night. Hunter closed the door hard behind him without saying a word. Joe walked the short distance to his SUV. He turned and looked back at the house. Hunter's face was at the sidelight again, watching him, like a ghostly image. Suddenly, the downstairs light vanished into the surrounding blackness. He waited, his eyes moving to the back of the house, watching to see if the upstairs bedroom light went out as well. It didn't take long before that light, too, was extinguished. And now, a preview of our next episode. Having been grilled by Joe regarding Greg Vivian and his whereabouts, Hunter hurries to make a phone call detailing everything that just occurred. Who is it that she's speaking with on the other end of the line? Anne has a secret. A secret that not even Joe or her best friend Laura knows about. Does what she's been hiding stem from an accident she suffered years ago? Or does it owe its origin to something or someone else? Please consider joining our Patreon site and becoming a Dreadnought. For only $3 a month, our Dreadnoughts get early access to free episodes, exclusive periodic commentary by the authors of the books and the creators of the podcast, 
exclusive access to episodes of the second half of each book as those episodes are released, and access to the entire back catalog of episodes as our podcast goes forward. Click the link in the show description now to become a dreadnought and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses.